moments to follow along as I read verses 30 through 44, Mark chapter 6. Today is the fifth message in our series entitled Being Neighbor. It's a series on Christian hospitality. And I thought uh, today as we get into this understanding of the power of a shared meal that I would share a few things that happened around the dinner table in my house as I was growing up. And I remember back when I was 10 years old, my mom and dad had gone through a divorce and my mom and dad both had gotten remarried and my mom remarried a gentleman from the World War II generation. So he was older than she was. And my Daddy Clark is what we, we called our stepdad, Daddy Clark. And he's with the Lord now, uh, four years ago. Well, we always, even when my mom and dad were married, valued dinner time. Sometimes it was sloppy joes. Sometimes it was hamburger helper. Um, and then after my mom and stepdad were married, it was like, he liked salmon cakes, so she would fix those. And he was good at fixing seafood, so sometimes we would have boiled shrimp, which was just delicious the way he fixed it. Uh, other times it was baked Greek chicken. My mom would slice up the lemons and put it over the chicken and bake that. And so we, we, we always made it a practice to, to have supper together. Well, when we got older, it was harder when I started working and driving and all of that, but we still made the effort to get together and have family meals. My stepfather, though, <clears throat> did some things at the dinner table that just aggravated me and my brother. He would ask us trivia questions. He was a history buff. He was also an artist and would ask us all kinds of things at the supper table. He wanted us to know the state capitals. So he would ask us if we knew the state capitals. Things like, do you know the capital of Alaska? Some of you got it. Some of you later will, oh, I got it. And he would want us to know things like, who wrote Mark, who wrote, who wrote, Huckleberry Finn, or who wrote Tom Sawyer, or um, he was an artist, so what, what, tell me, show me which one's a Rembrandt and which one's Monet, and he would bring them to the table. And if we, my brother and I, if, he, if we did not know the answer to his question, then came the dreaded, go get the World Book Encyclopedia and bring it back to the table. Now, young people, that's a book, it's thick burgundy-colored book with shiny gold on the outside edges, and you would actually have to open it up and thumb through the book and find the entry, and then he would, made us, make, he would make us read the whole article to, to him. We could not get up from the dinner table until we had gone and got the encyclopedia, bring it back, read the entry, make sure we got it right. And then typically he would quiz us on that same thing another time. It's a wonder I had any dates in high school. I will never forget the first time poor Melanie came to meet my family our freshman year of college, and my stepfather asked her trivia questions. She looked like a deer in the headlights. What am I supposed to do? And you know somebody really loves you when they stick with you after that. Even as he got dementia when he was older, and then Alzheimer's, the last six years of his life, he struggled with Alzheimer's. He sat at the dinner table 
up until about a month before the Lord called him home. And even at the dinner table in those days when he struggled, he would still ask us questions. Sometimes at the same dinner table, he would ask us the same question several times. And now looking back as an adult, see, I did not like it back then, but oh, I long for it now. Those were good times around the dinner table. They form us and shape us. And I believe that this table set before us today forms us and shapes us as God's people. Mealtime's important. Churches who gather around the table are strengthened, I believe. It's cliche-ish, I know. The family who prays together stays together. It's a bumper sticker many of you have seen. But I do believe that churches who pray together stay together. I do believe that churches who eat together stay together. There's something about a shared meal together. There's something about the casserole that comes just at the right time. There's something about gathering at a potluck. There's something about dinner on the grounds that just makes your day. This fall, I'm excited that our fellowship team and Matthew have selected a caterer that's going to cater our Wednesday evening meals, and we're going to to launch that ministry back, and we're looking forward to gathering around the table every Wednesday night here at HRBC. We're looking forward to that. Maybe you have some memories from dinner table at your house. At our, at our house, I love fixing breakfast in the morning. Every morning, that's my job. Before Isabella gets on the bus, we uh, have family breakfast together. I know not everybody can do that. I know some schedules are different than others, but we make an effort to do that. And we always make an effort to eat supper together in the evening. Even when I have a meeting, Melanie will often you know, have something in the crock pot or she'll, she, you know, she, she works, but sometimes when she's working out at, at home in the afternoon after school, she'll still have something on the stove. And when I come, I can get something to eat as a family and then go back to my meeting. That's uh, important. No electronic devices at our table. That's, that's one rule. And the other rule is we don't answer the phone. We let the voicemail get it and we'll get it later. So we can try to keep that as a sacred uh, time. But there are benefits from family meals together. A number of studies have shown that family meals uh, strengthen in a number of ways. One study says, quote, it's an opportunity to de-stress a chance to catch up with, them, with those whom we love. Children do better in school, get in better shape, and are less likely to abuse drugs and alcohol. Eating together also helps children have better relationships with their parents, and relationships with adults benefit as well. Now, I know that this is a study that there are always exceptions. There are always families who may not experience that or uh, struggle in that area, but Overall, it is a good thing when people are able to gather around the table together. In today's activity-driven culture, many families say, we can't figure that out. How are we going to do that? And maybe it's, for you, maybe it's just, say, one or two days a week, we're going to make an effort to have a family meal together in some way or another. Try it and, and see, see if you can 
make it work. It's very clear that Jesus valued being at table with others. Not only his own disciples, but throughout his ministry, he modeled hospitality through shared meals with tax collectors and sinners. Remember, he was criticized by religious leaders because he dined with tax collectors and sinners who were people that a rabbi should stay away from. He was rebuked for eating with unworthy people. Remember that he shared a meal with Zacchaeus, prepared a meal for his disciples, and sat at the table with disciples on the road to Emmaus. And this is something he did over and over and over again. And then he has prepared this table before us today, this example of the Last Supper that he set with his disciples. And we'll never forget the way that he had compassion on the multitudes and fed them. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 6, we read this account. By the way, this miracle of Jesus is in all four of the Gospels, so it's good to read all of those. But today is Mark's account. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, Jesus said to them, Come, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And we believe, by the way, that he needed to go away with his disciples and get some rest because John the Baptist had recently died. And Jesus was, we believe, bereaved and needed some time away from the crowds just to gather himself and to pray and to have some silence and solitude and also be with his closest disciples. You can see that in some of the other accounts that are in the Gospels. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Verse 33, But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. So what was supposed to be a time of rest and solitude and then more ministry ended up being more ministry right there. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Jesus could not turn them away. By the time it was late in the day, his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus answered, you give them something to eat. They had given him a commandment, send them away. Jesus says, no, bring them to the table. They said, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to all of them to eat? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. If you go to John's account, you'll see that They were able to get that from a young boy who shared it with them. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. And this is reminiscent of the time of the Exodus where Moses was leading the people. They were in the wilderness. And you remember in chapter 18, uh, Moses was having a terrible time managing everything. All sorts of problems were coming his way and he was supposed to mediate all of those decisions. 
and lead the people. And Jethro, his father-in-law, says, Moses, you're going about it all the wrong way. Uh, you, you need to take the high-level things yourself, and then you need to delegate out responsibility to the other leaders in smaller groups. And so the, the Israelites were divided into camps, smaller groups that they would be manageable. And so Jesus directed the disciples to do something very similar. Have them sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to all the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. And we know that they did not count women and children then, so you can imagine the thousands more people who were fed miraculously that day. Not only reminiscing of the days of the Exodus in those groups, but also reminded of the manna from heaven and the quail that God provided. So this text really is packed with a lot that helps us to see the, the way that God provides for His people. There's power in a shared meal. There is power then where something very small was made great and fed many. You remember the text from last Sunday where the widow had a little bit of grain and a little bit of oil and the prophet Elijah, through God's power, was able to take a little bit and make it go a long way. God did the same thing through Jesus. And we have this story in all four Gospels to remind us of how God works. Here are a few things that we can take away. First, the power of a shared meal. And people feel the presence of God. I imagine that the people felt the presence of the Almighty God as the, bro- the bread and the loaves were multiplied right before their eyes. Could you imagine if you were sitting on the grass in your group and you saw this just before your eyes, that you would feel the presence of God? And you also feel the presence of God because Jesus invited the people to sit down on green grass. And then we go, oh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. The pastoral presence of the one who is the good shepherd. And we're also, if you're taking notes today, reminded of God's provision. How he gave manna from heaven to the Israelites. How he gave the bread of life to us in Christ Jesus. And we have this meal in front of us today. The bread and the cup reminding us of his provision. Not only physically sustaining us, but spiritually sustaining us because through Jesus Christ, the one who said, I am the bread of life, that we can have a place at the table at the heavenly banquet. And third, through the power of a shared meal, relationships are strengthened. I wish I'd have done a better job at this when I was a kid around the table at home. I begrudgingly sat through dinners. How was your day? Fine. What'd you do at school today? Nothing. What's the capital of Alaska? <laughs> do you know the capital of Alaska? Okay. Um, but I, I do believe that uh, 
there are times when our relationships are strengthened around the table. There were times where our family was fussing and we would still sit down at the dinner table and try to work things out. How many of you have had some difficult relationship and you said to that person, you being a Christian, you took that first step and you said, we need to sit down at the table. How often have you, used, have you heard political party people say, we need to sit down a- across the table and work things out? There's something about being around the table that builds relationships and strengthens them. And we also know that reconciliation is made possible around the table. We can begin to forgive and receive forgiveness as we do when we gather at the Lord's table. That's what grace is about. I love the story that Brennan Manning tells in his book, The Ragamuffin Gospel, about the mayor of New York in the early part of the 20th century, Fiorello LaGuardia. He was a big-hearted man, even though he was small in stature. It is said that he would ride on the fire engines through the city. He would walk the beat with police officers. He would even take orphans to baseball games. He had a big heart. Well, one evening, he volunteered to go over to the ward in a really tough part of the city and gave the night court judge off and sat there at the bench to hear the cases of the petty crimes that had been committed, the traffic violations, and all these things that you can imagine that happened in a night court in New York City. And then a tattered old woman was brought before him with charges of stealing a loaf of bread. The bread, the bakery owner stepped up and would not release the woman. He continued to press charges against her. And she said, but your honor, my daughter's husband deserted her. My daughter is sick and my grandchildren are starving. I had no other choice but to take the bread. I had no money to buy food. I had to take the bread. And Mayor LaGuardia said, ma'am, I'm sorry, but the law is the law and I have no other choice but to fine you $10 or sentence you to 10 days in jail. As he spoke those words, he pulled out a $10 bill from his pocket and placed it in his well-known sombrero hat and paid her fine. And then he proceeded to fine every person in the entire room 50 cents for their being there. All of the uh, traffic, the ticket violations, all of the other petty crimes that had been committed, and even the police officers who were there in the courtroom that night were fined 50 cents. Even the red-faced bakery owner. The next day, the newspaper reported that the room gave the mayor a standing ovation when he took $47.50 that was collected the night before and gave it to the widow that she might feed her daughter and her grandchildren. 
that there would be food around their table. That's grace. This bread is grace. Today we say table grace. And somehow God perhaps will give us the opportunity to pay it forward to somebody else. The way that Jesus paid it forward to us. That the night before he died on the cross that he took bread and broke it and gave thanks and said, this is my body which is given for you for as often as you meet together. Take, eat, this do in remembrance of me. And in the same way, Jesus took the cup of wine and he gave thanks for it and poured it out and said, this is my blood which is the new covenant for the remission of your sins and the sins of many. As often as you meet together, drink it, this do in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the coming of the Son of Man. Shall we pray together?